Jesus Christ is coming back. For those of us who know Him as our Savior, that's a glorious prospect. It's what we look forward to most. But for those who don't know Him, His return means judgment has arrived. It'll be a terrible day for them. That's why the most important issue to settle in life is your relationship with Jesus Christ. Welcome to the Wisdom Journey. Stephen Davey has a lesson for you today called A Warning and a Promise. Let's get started. As we continue our chronological study through the Gospels, Mark chapter 14, Luke chapter 22, and Matthew chapter 25 all contribute to the scene we're about to look at here on the Mount of Olives. We call it the Olivet Discourse. Jesus is sitting out there on a hillside, and he's teaching his disciples the events leading up to his return following the tribulation period. Now, this is all new to them, and I'm sure it was staggering news to keep in mind. And I want us to keep in mind that even though the Lord is instructing his disciples here, he's instructing us today. But I want you to remember that his words at this Mount Olivet Discourse are actually directed to a future generation of believers who will become followers of Christ during the seven-year tribulation period. And let me tell you, they're especially going to appreciate Matthew chapter 25. Now, the Lord delivers two parables to highlight the need for these tribulation believers to be watching for his return to earth. Now, this return isn't the rapture. That takes place before the tribulation when the Lord calls up his redeemed to the clouds and literally whisks us away to the Father's house. But here in Matthew chapter 25, Jesus is talking about his coming all the way down to planet Earth. In fact, right down there to Jerusalem, and that happens at the end of the tribulation when he then sets up his kingdom. Now, verse 1 begins the first parable describing a coming judgment on all who follow the Antichrist. Jesus says, The kingdom of heaven will be like ten virgins who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were wise. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them, but the wise took flasks of oil with their lamps. Now, again, this is wedding terminology. In the custom of this day, the bridegroom would go get his bride and bring her back for the wedding feast to the father's house. These young women in the parable are waiting to join the procession back to the bridegroom's house for the feast. You could call them uh, the bridesmaids. Now, when the bridegroom shows up, he happens to show up at midnight. Five of these women have no oil for their lamps, and they're left out in the dark. Jesus says here in verse 13, Watch, therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. So be ready for his appearing. Now, this next parable describes a man who gave his servants money, and he wanted them to invest it. One servant was given five talents, another given two talents, and another one talent. By the way, a talent was worth around 16 years of salary for the average person. 
So a, a talent was a lot of money. In fact, it was the largest unit of currency used during the days of Jesus. Now Jesus describes what happens next here in verse 16. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Well, Jesus goes on to say the master returns. He commends the two servants who had invested wisely. He called them each good and faithful servants. But he condemned the servant who buried his money in the ground, calling him here in verse 26, a wicked and slothful servant. He was was actually too lazy to do anything with it. He didn't even earn interest. In fact, he blames the master for his personality. The master orders that this man be punished. Now, the moral of the story is, is obvious. True believers care about their Lord's desires. Unbelievers don't care about the master at all. Now, throughout the rest of chapter 25, Jesus gives a literal description of this judgment. He speaks here in verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Again, now Jesus is speaking of his return at the end of the tribulation. He's sitting now on a literal throne in his literal millennial kingdom. There's no need to spiritualize any of this away. This is going to literally happen. And these literal nations, that is, all those still alive on earth, are going to be gathered before his throne to be judged. Those who believe in Christ will enter into his thousand-year kingdom. Now, don't confuse this judgment here with the one described over in Revelation chapter 20. That's the great white throne judgment. That's going to take place a thousand years later. Now, if your head's spinning right about now, hang on. We're going to take quite a bit of time to explain all this further when our wisdom journey eventually sails into the book of Revelation. Well, now let's go back to this judgment of all those who've survived the tribulation, verse 34. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Now, don't misunderstand this, beloved. Their compassion doesn't earn them a place in the kingdom. It just proves they belong to the king. But they are curious, and they ask the Lord here, when did we do those things to you? And King Jesus answers here in verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Now, again, specifically in this context, these brothers are Jewish believers who've suffered during the rampage of the Antichrist. The Antichrist is going to try to stamp out the nation of Israel. And if he can, he can void all the promises of God to his chosen people of a literal land, a literal kingdom, a literal throne. Of course, we know the Antichrist is going to fail miserably, and all who follow him are going to receive eternal judgment. In fact, Jesus says here in verse 46, These will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous, 
Now, the word righteous means those right with God, and you're right with God through Christ. They will go into eternal life. Let me tell you, people don't want to hear about divine judgment. It's a very pleasant topic, frankly, but it's real. It's literal. Listen, poison ought to have a warning label on it, right? The world here is being warned of coming judgment. But here's the good news. You don't have to drink that bottle of poison. Jesus drank it for you when he died on the cross for your sins, when he took your judgment. That excruciating separation from his Father, that death on the cross, made it possible that if you believe in him and follow him, you'll never face the judgment from God because Jesus, as one author put it, took your cup and drank your damnation dry. So think about this. As Jesus is informing his disciples here of eternal judgment, sitting there among them is a disciple by the name of Judas Iscariot. And I kind of wonder what he's thinking. Well, Matthew shifts over to Judas here in chapter 26 and verse 14. Then Judas Iscariot went to the chief priests and said, What will you give me if I deliver him over to you? And they paid him 30 pieces of silver. Let me tell you, 30 pieces of silver was the price somebody paid in the first century for an old slave, a servant who really couldn't do all that much work for the household. That's how little Judas thought of Jesus. That's how little the religious leaders thought of Jesus. They wanted him dead, but if they're going to have to dish out any money at all to get Judas to betray him, well, we'll give you the same amount we'd pay for an old slave. So here's the message, beloved. Don't be like Judas. If you're an unbeliever, in fact, right now, don't sit. Don't sit there Sunday after Sunday. Don't even listen to this program uh, and ignore the warning about the poison of death and and judgment. For those of us who do believe, however, let's be encouraged. Jesus, he can tell us what the future is because he's in control of it. And he's giving us a glimpse here into the future as it unfolds. And guess what? Sin doesn't win. Satan doesn't win. Evil doesn't win. The Antichrist doesn't win. Satan fails entirely. And every one of God's literal promises are going to literally come true. His promise to you today is that he works everything together for your good. That's a promise, and he's going to keep it. He's keeping it today, no matter how things look. He's keeping his promises to you. Well, until next time, beloved, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. That was Stephen Davey, and this is The Wisdom Journey. Stephen is teaching through the entire Bible with a new lesson each weekday. He called today's lesson a warning and a promise. You can learn more about Stephen and this Bible teaching ministry if you visit our website, which is wisdomonline.org. Once you go there, you'll have access to the complete library of Stephen's teaching ministry. All of that content is available to you free of charge and on demand. 
You can access it anytime at wisdomonline.org. Join us next time on this wisdom journey. 